this podcast deals with true crime. I will be speaking frankly and openly about crimes such as murder, rape, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. One of the greatest joys in life is that of being a parent. As a father myself, the most joyful day of my life was the day that my son was born. However, what most people aren't prepared for is the fear that sets in for parents. You are now responsible for keeping this little person that you love more than anything safe. And as an adult, you know how scary the world really is. One of the greatest fears is that someone may take your child the thought that one day you may turn around and your child may be gone forever. In this day and age, we have lots of advantages to combat against child abduction. Amber Alerts now will contact everyone's cell phone in a certain radius of the child's last known whereabouts. Megan's law requires that sex offender registries be allowed to be accessed by the public so that we know who is in our neighborhoods. However, it didn't always used to be this way. These laws were enacted after a poor child lost their lives, and we as a society learned from our mistakes, realizing that if these laws had been placed beforehand, then these children may have been spared. And there was a child abduction case that started it all, a case that spurred the formation of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Also, the case started the practice of putting missing children's pictures on milk cartons something that got the child's story out to the masses in the days before cell phones and social media. Tonight, on the True Crime Truckers podcast, I bring you the case of Aton Pates. Aton Khalil Pates was born October 9, 1972, in Manhattan, New York. His parents were Stanley and Julie Pates. Stanley was a professional photographer, and his mother, Julie, ran a daycare out of the family's loft apartment. Aton had an older sister. The day that Aton went missing, his mother, Julie, remembers vividly. It was a hectic morning, her older daughter not wanting to wake up, and Aton springing out of bed. She remembered trying to talk him out of taking his favorite toy cars to school and his jamming the cars into his tote bag anyway. Aton was pushing to be more independent, and that morning he lobbied his mother to let him walk on his own to the school bus stop. 
On the morning of May 25, 1979, Aton left his Soho apartment at 113 Prince Street by himself for the first time, planning to walk two blocks to board a school bus at West Broadway and Prince Street. He was wearing a black future flight captain pilot cap and a blue corduroy jacket, blue jeans, and blue sneakers with fluorescent stripes on it. He never got on the bus. Down the stairs and out onto Prince Street. It was a red-letter day for first-grader Aton. For months, he'd been pestering his parents to walk alone to the school bus stop just two blocks away. Today, they finally agreed, and away he went. At school, Aton's teacher noticed his absence, but did not report it to the principal. When Aton did not return home after school, his mother Julie called the police. At first, detectives considered the Pateses to be possible suspects, but quickly determined that they had no involvement. The investigation was stymied by the delay and other factors, including the drizzly weather, which made it harder for police dogs to track Aton's scent. There was no crime scene to examine, no witnesses, and no tangible evidence of a murder or kidnapping. Before long, the family's home was transformed into a command center. The police were there, and so were volunteers and journalists. The phone rang constantly. Posters with Aton's picture were put up around the neighborhood, and then, with the help of volunteers, far beyond that. Take a close look at the picture we're going to put up on the screen. This is Aton Pate. An intense search began that evening, using nearly 100 police officers and a team of bloodhounds. The search continued for weeks. Neighbors and police canvassed the city and placed missing child posters featuring Aton's portrait, but this resulted in few leads. Aton's father, Stanley, was a professional photographer and had a collection of photographs he had taken of his son. His photos of Aton were printed on countless missing child posters and became the first child ever to have a missing persons photo put on a milk carton. They were also projected on the screens in Times Square. However, Aton was never found. In 1983, President Ronald Reagan declared May 25th the anniversary of Aton's disappearance, National Missing Children's Day. That same year, the film Without a Trace was released, based on a fictionalized account of Aton's case, starring Kate Nellingen and Judd Hirsch. My child has disappeared. I want to take a look around this neighborhood for myself. Let me come with you. No, I need one of you here near the phone in case there's a ransom call. There's been upsetting on Montague Street. What about the computer check? Any uh, child molesters? Have you called the FBI? If he's been out all night, it'll be called. We huddle up small. If you open this up to the press, you're going to get the crazies. I don't care if I have to talk to every lunatic in the city. Somebody has seen my boy. Without a trace, ready PG. Now playing at a selected theater near you. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has said his case was a catalyst for its creation. Thank you very much. Thank you for a, 
very warm welcome, and especially from one young lady up here. But Attorney General Smith, distinguished members of the Congress and honored guests and ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome to the White House. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to help launch the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and to tell you that the safety and protection of our children is a top priority on the national agenda. All Americans, and especially our youth, should have the right and the opportunity to walk our streets, to play, and to grow, and to live their lives without being at risk. But sadly, our children are at risk. Assistant United States Attorney Stuart R. Grabois received the case in 1985 and identified Jose Antonio Ramos, a convicted child sexual abuser who had been a friend of Aton's former babysitters, as the primary suspect. In 1982, multiple boys had accused Ramos of trying to lure them into a drain pipe in the area where Ramos was living. When police searched the drain pipe, they found photographs of Ramos and a young boy who resembled Aton. Grabois eventually found out that Ramos had been in custody in Pennsylvania in connection with an unrelated child molestation case. In 1990, Grabois was deputized as Deputy State Attorney General in Pennsylvania to help prosecute a case against Ramos for sexually abusing children and to attain further information about Aton's case. When first questioned by Grabois, Ramos stated that on the day when Eton disappeared, he had taken a young boy back to his apartment to rape him. Ramos said that he was 90% sure it was the boy whom he later saw on television. However, Ramos did not use Aton's name. He also claimed that he had, quote, put the boy on a subway, unquote. In 1991, while Ramos was incarcerated, a jailhouse informant told Grabois and FBI agent Mary Galligan that Ramos had told him he knew what happened to Aton. Ramos even drew a map of Aton's school bus route, indicating that he knew that Aton's bus stop was the third one on the route. You never had a particular fascination for blonde-haired, blue-eyes young boys? No, I wasn't into the, to the, to the Viking thing, if that's what you're trying to say. In a special feature on missing children, the New York Post reported on October 21, 1999, that Ramos was the prime suspect in Aton's disappearance. Ramos had been known by the Pates family and was the prime suspect all along. But in the early 1980s, authorities were unable to prosecute Ramos. Aton's body was never found. He was declared legally dead in 2001. Stan and Julie Pates pursued and won a civil case against Ramos in 2004. They were awarded a symbolic sum of $2 million, which they have never collected. Ramos had never been criminally prosecuted for the murder of Aton. 
every year on Aton's birthday and the anniversary of his disappearance, Stan Pates sent Ramos a copy of his son's missing child poster. On the back, he typed the same message, quote, what did you do with my little boy, unquote. I send him the, uh, the, the missing poster. I type one line on the back and same line every, every year. What did you do to my little boy? Ramos has denied that he killed Aton. I don't know anything that, uh, that, that Gravois knows. Why don't you ask Gravois about it? He served a 20-year prison sentence in the State Correctional Institution in Dallas, Pennsylvania for child molestation. He was released from prison on November 7, 2012. Soon after his release, he was arrested on a Megan's Law violation. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. officially reopened the case on May 25, 2010. On April 19, 2012, the FBI and NYPD investigators began excavating the Soho basement of 127B Prince Street near the Pates' home. This residence had been newly refurbished shortly after Aton's disappearance in 1979, and the basement had been the workshop and storage space of a handyman. After a four-day search, investigators announced that, that there was, quote, nothing conclusive found, unquote. In New York today, the police and the FBI finished digging up a basement, but it does not appear they found the remains of Aton Pates. Pates was six years old when he vanished on his way to school in 1979, the first missing child to appear on a milk carton. The basement, was the basement that was searched was once the workshop of a handyman who knew the boy. There was a lot of interest last week when the search was resumed after 33 years, but today the NYPD said no obvious human remains were found. On May 24, 2012, New York Police Commissioner Raymond Kelly announced that a man was in custody who had implicated himself in Aton's disappearance. According to the New York Times, a law enforcement official identified the man as 51-year-old Pedro Hernandez of Maple Shade, New Jersey, and said that he had confessed to strangling the child. He stated in his written confession to the police, quote, I'm sorry, I shook him, unquote. This evening, the New York City Police Department is announcing the arrest of Pedro Hernandez, age 51, of Maple Shade, New Jersey for the murder of Eton Pates. Hernandez confessed to choking Eton 
33 years ago tomorrow in the basement of a bodega located at 448 West Broadway in Manhattan. Earlier this month, the NYPD Missing Persons Squad received information from an individual, which led them to identify Hernandez as a person of interest in Eton's disappearance on May 25, 1979. In the years following Eton's disappearance, Hernandez had told a family member and others that he had, quote, done a bad thing and killed a child in New York. Last night, after being questioned, Hernandez returned voluntarily from New Jersey with detectives to Manhattan. He brought them to the scene of the crime, which is now a store that sells eyeglasses. Hernandez described to the detectives how he lured young Eton from the school bus stop at West Broadway and Prince Street with the promise of a soda. He then led him into the basement of the bodega, choked him there, and disposed of the body by putting it into a plastic bag and placing it into the trash. He had worked as a stock clerk in a bodega for approximately one month. At the time of Eton's disappearance, Hernandez resided in a nearby apartment on West Broadway. We have informed the Pates family of these developments. We're working closely with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office on this investigation. And we can only hope that these developments bring some measure of peace to the family. According to a 2009 book about the case after Aton, Aton had a dollar and had told his parents that he planned to buy a soda to drink with his lunch. At the time of Aton's disappearance, Hernandez was an 18-year-old convenience store worker in a neighborhood bodega. It was determined that Aton had been abducted and murdered the same day that he went missing. Hernandez said that he later threw Aton's remains into the garbage. In 2012, a man from New Jersey, Jose Lopez, reached out to investigators. He believed that Hernandez, Lopez's brother-in-law, was in fact responsible for Aton's disappearance. Statements by Hernandez's sister, Nina Hernandez, and Thomas Riviera, leader of a charismatic Christianity group at St. Anthony's of Padua, a Roman Catholic church in Camden, New Jersey, indicated that Hernandez may have publicly confessed to murdering Aton in the presence of fellow parishioners in the early 1980s. According to Hernandez's sister, it was a, quote, open family secret that he had confessed in the church, unquote. A New York grand jury indicted Hernandez on November 14, 2012, on charges of second-degree murder and first-degree kidnapping. His lawyer had stated that Hernandez was diagnosed with schizotypal personality disorder, which includes hallucinations. The lawyer has also said that his client had a low IQ of around 70 at the border of intellectual disability. On December 12, 2012, Hernandez pleaded not guilty to two counts of murder and one count of kidnapping in a New York court. In April of 2013, Harvey Fishbein, Hernandez's legal criminal defense lawyer, filed a motion to dismiss the case citing that Hernandez's, quote, confession in one of the nation's most notorious child disappearances was false, 
peppered with questionable claims and made after almost seven hours of police questioning, unquote. The next month, however, New York Supreme Court Justice Maxwell Wiley ruled that the evidence was, quote, legally sufficient to support the charges, unquote, and that the case could move forward. He also ordered a hearing to determine whether or not the defendant's statements could be used at trial. Hernandez had a hearing in September of 2014 about whether his statements made prior to the police giving him his Miranda rights were legally admissible at trial. This would be influenced by whether or not he felt free to leave during the time before he was informed of his Miranda rights. The hearing was also to determine whether or not he understood the significance of the Miranda rights and was competent to waive them when he did so. This was significant because it would decide whether any of the statements made after that point by Hernandez were legally admissible at trial. The actual truth or falsehood of the statements was not the focus of the hearing. Rather, the question of the statement's truthfulness was to be discussed in the trial, which began on January 5, 2015. The case resulted in a mistrial in May of 2015 due to a hung jury, which deadlocked 11 against 1 for conviction. A retrial began on October 19, 2016, in a New York City court. In more than three hours of testimony, Julie Pates maintained her composure at times laughing at memories of her son. Aton, she said, was a very small for his age and had been sickly, coming down with chickenpox several times. But he was a happy child, typically offering a smile, sometimes sweet, other times silly. In the pictures his father, a photographer, would often take, he was a, quote, real ham, she said. When he did not return home that afternoon, she called the mother of one of his closest friends, and she learned that Aton had not been in school and had never gotten on the bus. Quote, after that, she said, I was still in shock. My legs started giving out, Unquote. On February 14, 2017, Hernandez was found guilty of kidnapping and felony murder. I needed to know what happened to my son, and... Um this great prosecution team uh, finally proved it. Sentencing was scheduled on February 28th, with Hernandez facing up to 25 years to life in prison. However, Hernandez's attorneys were granted a delay so as to be able to challenge the verdict, and no new sentencing date was set. On April 18, 2017, Hernandez was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Stan and Julie Pates had the 2004 judgment against Ramos dismissed after the 2015 trial of Pedro Hernandez convinced them that Ramos was not responsible for their son's death. In 1983, the May 25th anniversary of Aton Pates' disappearance was designated National Missing Children's Day in the United States. In 2001, the tribute spread worldwide. The International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, or the ICMEC, coordinates the, quote, help bring them home, unquote, campaign in 22 countries in conjunction with International Missing Children's Day.
Aton's disappearance helped launch the missing children movement, which included new legislation and new methods for tracking down missing children. The extensive media attention given to Aton's disappearance has been credited with creating greater attention to missing children, resulting in changes such as less willingness to allow children to walk to school, photos of missing children being printed on milk cartons, and promotion of the concept of, quote, stranger danger. The idea that all adults not known to the child must be regarded as a potential source of danger. And while new stricter laws have been put into place to protect our children, unfortunately, we haven't seen the last law put into place as a reaction to the loss of another child by the hands of a stranger. You can contact me at truecrimetruckerspodcast at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group at True Crime Truckers Podcast. I am also on Instagram at michael.prit81. I will return in two weeks with another case to present. Until then, stay safe.